Chief Product Officers, VPs of Product, Heads of Product are all complex roles with diverse responsibilities, and those responsibilities are not usually obvious in how to measure success. Sometimes they're measured like other executives on company performance or measured on outputs like features or roadmap commitments delivered. But how should a product leader's success be measured? In this episode of Fearless Product Leadership, we learn from deeply experienced product leaders who've held the product leader role at multiple companies as they answer the question, how do you measure your success as a product leader? Welcome to the Fearless Product Leadership Podcast. This is the show for new product leaders seeking to increase their confidence and competence. In every episode, I ask experienced and thoughtful product leaders to share their strategies and tactics that have helped them tackle a tough responsibility of the product leader role. I love helping emerging product leaders shorten their learning curves to expedite their professional success with great products, teams, and stakeholder relationships. I'm your host and CEO of Fearless Product, Hope Gurion. with product leaders in a variety of companies and find wide variation in how their success is measured. In my own experience as a product leader, and especially given the relative newness of the role on most leadership teams, it's difficult to navigate and advocate for how the role and the product teams should be measured because other members of the leadership team and board often really don't know how to isolate a success metric for such a cross-functional role. This often leads to a cop-out of company performance metrics like revenue or EBITDA or delivery-related metrics like features or commitments delivered. As more companies evolve to embrace both the product leader role and OKR models to set priorities and track progress to their goals, a door opens to define the success metrics for the product leader role in a more meaningful way. In this episode, you'll learn from five experienced product leaders at B2B and B2C companies whose success is measured in two ways quantitatively in how much they achieved of the business priorities and outcomes, often using OKRs, and qualitatively in how they achieved those objectives and key results by creating focus and minimizing distraction and drag on the teams, enabling healthy collaborative relationships, ensuring product teams have clarity and purpose, and solving important customer needs that lead to those desired business results. And at the end, I'll share an example of the work that I do with product leaders to define their success metrics to connect their team's work to the company's desired business outcomes. Fearlessly tackling the question, how do you measure your success as a product leader, are Troy Anderson, Chief Product and Information Officer at Aperture, Rachel Obsler, VP of Product at PagerDuty, Seth Rowe, VP of Consumer Web Products at The Weather Company, Nate Walkingshaw, former Chief Experience Officer at Pluralsight, Nicole Brolin, Executive GM, Global Services at Zero, and previously Chief Product Officer at C. First, we hear from Troy Anderson, who shares that his success as a product leader should be measured by how well he's keeping his teams and the rest of the company focused on the most important priorities. And like in a company, um, and you're a new product leader in a company, my key for you would be, how often do you say no? If you say no, you know, 90% of the time, I think you're doing pretty good. <laughs> um, the key is, is uh, people end up with like their top 10 priorities, which is ridiculous, right? Even uh, John Doerr, when he's coming up with OKRs, like you should have four objectives and four key results per objective. And if you can't boil things down into kind of a 
top four even, you're doing it wrong. Something, something's a mess. You haven't thought through the problem in a systemic way. And so what you're always trying to do is you're trying to uh, take this limited resource of key people and apply them uh, to these, these very focused problems. And ideally, you know, those four problems shouldn't necessarily all be the same thing, but your key is saying no to everything else. Because uh, first off, uh, one thing that people sense right away is when uh, we're being asked to do too many stray things that don't pertain to what we should be focusing on. And if you have a good rationale uh, for what you should be focusing on, then absolutely your success as a product leader is getting things out of people's way. So one of the things that uh, I, I've done when I've come into a company is I'm like, well, how many meetings, how many emails, how many whatever it is do we have to get something to move? And my goal is to eliminate those, right? So you're saying no to things that get in the way of your velocity and your ability to succeed. And so from a, from a larger perspective, have few priorities. From a medium perspective, it's say no to other things and, and focus on your top three or four. And then kind of at a more micro level, it's what are the things that get away, get in uh, people's way? If you eliminate things that get in people's way as a product leader, one, you're showing that you're scaling by making your people more effective. And I think those are the keys for me. And do you think that your CEO uh, and or board would agree with your assessment? <laughs> <laughs> Lord, uh, that's not going to fly at the CEO or board level, but that's the reality. So you have to you have to uh, solve for optics as well as uh, and perception as well as you do for uh, reality. I gotta admit, I'm terrible at solving for optics and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, one of the things that I found is that you put things into the board or the CEO's framework, right? If you're trying to solve for an outcome as opposed to a bunch of outputs. And you've set those outcomes up with your CEO in advance. That's the best way to do it. Because then it's like, oh, look, this outcome actually happened. I said it was going to happen in this day, and it happened. Likewise, at, at the board level, you know, your board of directors, you know, wants the company to be more valuable, right? That's, that's essentially uh, what they're trying to be. And if you have a good hypothesis for what makes the company more valuable and your uh, outcomes and your narrow focus are aligned with that, that is going to be the, the greatest way to show your success to that leadership. Next, Rachel Obsler, VP of Product at PagerDuty, shares how success is defined at her company and how she's impacted if the goals are or are not achieved. How success is defined for, for me. So our company has, um, we use V2Moms, which is like the Salesforce um, developed version of OKRs, I guess. So and so we actually have, we have methods and we have metrics. And so I really, I define those for my team, but I do that based on a cascade of what the, the company metrics and goals are. And so, um, so my success is, you know, not a hundred percent, but at least partially defined by me saying, okay, here are the company goals. Sometimes a company goal is something that I want myself and my team to own. Sometimes it is something that I think will help drive the company goal. And so we'll define those metrics, define goals around them. And then that is the thing that I get measured to. And what does that look like practically? Like if you hit the success metric or don't hit the success metric, is that a conversation? 
is it compensation? Is it like, like how, how does that practically impact you? We don't hit the goals. There's an element of um, compensation, um, performance, all those things that have to do with both the company goals and my individual goals and my team's goals. Um, and so if we don't hit goals, there's an impact to bonus, there's an impact to, you know, raises, there's, so it is both performance and financial, um, which I think is good, right? So everyone in the company or most people in the company are aligned to both the company goals um, and their individual goals. Next, Seth Rowe knows whether he's earning an A or an F as a product leader based on the outcomes of his teams. But practically, he invests his time on understanding the culture and relationship dynamics within his teams and between his teams and stakeholders to drive those outcomes. Success is measured as a product leader. Um, for me this year, this how do you measure success as a product leader? This year, I, I heard one of our um, executives speak at IBM, and he, he said, it's not a career ladder, it's a jungle gym. And I, I think that's been, that's been out there quite a bit. But um, it's, it's so true. I mean, I, I think if you talk to any of your peers, you know, we've all arrived at this, this position that we currently have as a, a product leader in very different ways and from a variety of different backgrounds and skill sets and college degrees and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's been these, these folks who are willing to accept any challenge and dive into that challenge by always having a, a yes and attitude instead of a, a no but. For me, in my own organization, what I think I'm currently measured at as a product leader is, I would say, perception is reality to my, to my own team. And we're all crafting our own story and, and honestly, our reputation within this organization. And I, I think, you know, being your authentic self and acting who you are at work versus outside of work, it varies from company to company that I've seen in my own career. But what we really try to to instill here is is being your authentic self and making sure that the the reputation you're creating within the company ultimately is making you look successful. So as I've grown in my career, I've been able to better manage my reputation by leaning on being a more of a, a coach and a mentor and really driving like a, a, a positive culture. Like I, I've found if if my team has a lot of disagreement, we're not aligned within the organization, it, it just seems like we're, we're not quite in step. That very much reflects poorly on any of us as product leaders. And so for me, culture is always a, a huge piece of it, having retros on an often basis so that we, we understand where the, the real challenges are that, that need to be addressed. Um, the more open and honest and transparent we can be about these problems, ultimately, lead us to a, to a healthier place in terms of how we're viewed um, from a success standpoint within the organization. And then the, the final piece for me is just being open to feedback. I, I feel like every year I look back, honestly, every three months I look back and I go, man, I thought I knew a lot about this business, this discipline of product management. And every three months I look back and I go, I didn't know anything. Like it's, it's amazing. And so, you know, I, I just, we're all very fortunate to work we work in a flat organization. We're very fortunate to work with a lot of smart people. And I want to make sure they're telling me where I'm um, currently failing them on a, on a regular basis so that I can 
make sure that I'm, I'm meeting their needs as, as well as I can. And then at the end of the day, all that, you know, kind of leads to the, just similar to the last question, to the, to the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. If we're not achieving good outcomes, it's hard for anybody to be viewed successful. Um, so there's, there's always that balance of making sure we have the, the right culture, the right morale, um, the right level of productivity, all that stuff kind of comes together into in, how we're driving the, the bottom line. Next, Nate Walkingshaw shares how a product leader's success metric will likely vary based on stage of company, from product market fit in the early stage to scale at the middle and growth stages, and excellence and retention of customers at later stage companies. But at every stage, a successful product leader is laser-focused on solving customer problems. So how you know how I think about a product leader and, and the measurement of, of the skills or the, the performance of a product leader, I think varies based off company size and product maturity. So the 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 company size is gonna matter a ton. You know, if if you're a new young series A you know, company, like the only thing that matters is product market fit, like period, like, like it's the lifeblood of the company. So you build a product and does it fit in the market? And so the, the agility or the performance around your ability to create a team, create a product. And then when you know that your product is or isn't working, your ability to move in the market to solve that problem, like that's what great performance looks like. And then once you find that traction, then, you know, it's the operational rigor you know, that you need to build. So, you know, that's kind of like an early stage, middle to growth stages, you know, one is operational excellence, scale, like the ability to scale teams. And so, you know, your ability to communicate, big. Your ability to communicate across multiple disciplines, huge. Um, your ability to not only communicate across those disciplines and deliver value to customers and measure the impact qualitatively and quantitatively, big, big qualitative feedback to me is NPS. I could care less about the score. I care a lot about the aggregated qualitative feedback of what they're saying um, to the products we build, which is extremely useful. And then, um, you know, retention, like retention of that product. And, you know, retention is tricky. It is, it is really, really tricky um, especially if you're like business to consumer, if you're pure SaaS or if you're digital or if you're, you know, sales, there's all these different contexts, but great performance would be, you know, would be product market fit. Like it's, it's never going to change. Like that is what you're hired to do. And I think maybe the last piece for me is just, uh, and I mentioned this in the earlier comment, but just the ability to create a culture, you know, of safety with those teams and then, and then the ability to move those teams or to create those teams at massive scale that still senses and responds to, to market conditions. Like ultimately, that's why R&D teams are built. Like how fast can we respond to market conditions? So things I hate, um, and I, maybe hate's a, hate's a harsh word, but I really dislike them pretty strongly. Um, I do not like um, annual planning cycles that um, dictate what our quarterly deliverables are going to be what, you know, main thematic, you know, culture theater trade shows we're going to build to do those said releases. Um, and then we're going to measure, you know, the, the outcomes of, you know, the amount of pipe in the room. You know, what I really care about a ton is the continuous delivery of that value, the agility of those teams. And then those teams are doing that. We can actually collect like all of that work into stories, into themes, into things that solve real customer problems. And then we want to be measured on the outcomes of the problems that we solved. So that's, that's my view. Finally, Nicole Broland shares how her success metrics as a product leader have evolved from team engagement and collaboration to tying their goals to business results using OKRs. 
So how my success is, man- is um, defined as a product leader, this has for me evolved over time. I think if I reflect on starting out, I think a lot of a lot of my success was one was really around team engagement. And so that team engagement was beyond just the product managers and the designers. And that was really around the product delivery teams. So, you know, did they have clarity of purpose? Do they feel engaged? Um, there was a lot of weight put on how that was working. Um, there's definitely a piece around how I, um, which is obviously quite subjective, um, there's this interesting piece about how I work with peers. Um, so I'm definitely measured on how well myself as a leader is collaborating with all the other functions and products interesting, you know, particularly the way we set it up at Seek. It's basically the kind of linchpin between the commercial side of the business and the technology side of the business. And so I'm measured on making sure that we've got really great relationships and collaboration going throughout both those sides. And then I think it's about business results. Um, and look, I've been, one of the things that I think is really um positive about how set up from a product function is um, we're not directly tied to revenue. So of course we have revenue generating initiatives, but we also have a whole range of strategic initiatives that don't necessarily drive revenue, or if they do, it's a really long game to driving revenue. And so I don't necessarily have revenue targets, but what I measured on is well, the outcomes that are delivered to the business and how how those outcomes are perceived to have moved the business forward. Now, this is the one that gets interesting because in the early days, a lot of that was far more subjective. A lot of that was just uh, my leader, you know, CEOs just kind of determining, okay, well, how well do I think this moved us forward or didn't move us forward? Um, it's been interesting because we've been on a journey with OKRs. And so now we have business level OKRs. And so since implementing them, I have found that um, that measurement piece of me as a leader, it's a little bit more objective now because now we've actually got very specific things that we've agreed almost in a contract that we were trying to achieve. Um, The nice part about that, and that's also the way I treat my leaders, that we don't, it's not a did you achieve the OKR or not. It's more around did you do everything in your power? Did you and your teams do everything you could to try and hit the OKRs and drive the right behaviour? Um, so that's another key um, measure. And then for me now, the evolution, because we're now bringing teams together across Asia and ANZ, um, I'm also being measured now on a bit more of a transformational piece. So how well are we bringing those organisations together? How well are we establishing a new culture? Um, And how well are we managing the trade-offs, which are quite tough, um, between what ANZ wants and then what the Asia business wants? So that they would be all the things that I'm measured on. And for that transformation one, um, and especially, you know, reconciling the needs of different markets, probably different contributions to the company's revenue, how, how do you measure success of that? Like, what's the, what's the yardstick that you're using? Yeah, it's really, it's such a fantastic point because what you find is, say, for example, you know, one of our biggest markets is Australia, but the Asia markets are under quite a lot of competition. And so you have this friction where you've got, you know, highest performing markets versus markets that have really high competition. And so for me, for me, the yardstick that we're using is, um, and again, the hard part is this stuff ends up being a little bit subjective, but it's really this kind of subjective measure around, do we feel like we got the ratios right? And do we feel like we got the balance of priorities right? That we did enough for each market um, based on certain criteria. And that criteria is their market position, the competitive position, strategic value, those types of things. So it is tricky because it's quite subjective. Um, and I would say we're still 
I'm still really trying to work through because one of the things I've noticed is we switch market priorities quite often. So something changes and you'll say, oh, well, now this market's important. We're still trying to come up with a really objective way for how do we assess the markets a bit more with a long-term view so that even if short-term view things happen, you don't have to shift, shift priorities all the time because you've actually got, you're playing more the long game um, and you know for each market what your key drivers are and you're chasing those drivers. And so therefore little blips along the way don't distract you. So that's something that we're working towards because I would say we don't have that at the moment. When I served as a chief product officer, my performance was directly aligned to company performance. If the company was hitting its revenue and EBITDA targets, my compensation grew. And if it fell below those targets, my compensation dropped. It was very clear. So as a leader, I had to work through how to translate those company financial success metrics into metrics that my team was empowered to influence. And at that time, I didn't have many models or examples of what other product leaders did, so I had to figure it out on my own. As we heard from the product leaders in this episode, they are most often measured by the business impact of the product impacting choices that they and their team make. These choices are rarely isolated and solely determined by the product team or the product leader. A successful product leader enables good choices for the teams and the company. As an executive measured on lagging indicators of revenue and EBITDA, I found my way to helping my teams find the leading indicators that would achieve those lagging indicators. I recently wrote an article about why empowering product teams with product outcomes is more meaningful and powerful, and I'll make sure I link to it from the show notes for this episode. Finding the outcome that is possible for the teams to impact positively is what ultimately leads to those lagging indicator business metric outcomes. As part of my coaching work, I help product leaders and teams figure out their paths today to these successful outcomes. By using a combination of behavioral maps and math, we deconstruct the business outcomes into the moments of the customer journey that the teams can impact, and it aligns their purpose and empowers the teams to do their best work. By using what-if scenario analysis, the product leader or teams can expose the assumptions that must come true to achieve those desired outcomes. If you'd like to learn more how-to information on defining outcomes for product teams, check out my new four-week course with Teresa Torres on Product Talk Academy called Defining Outcomes. In it, you'll learn how to deconstruct business outcomes into product outcomes, identify the point of leverage to drive impact, and negotiate the setting of those product outcomes as goals to achieve those desired business outcomes. It runs three times a year as a public course, but is also available as a private workshop. I want to say thank you to our senior product leaders, Troy, Rachel, Seth, Nate, and Nicole, for sharing their expertise in this episode. And if you're a product leader seeking meaningful success metrics for you and your teams, I'd love to be of help. You can contact me on LinkedIn or Twitter or schedule an initial consultation with me using the contact me page at fearless-product.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fearless Product Leadership. If you know a new product leader who would find this podcast helpful, please share it. You can follow me, Hope Gurion, on LinkedIn and Twitter, or subscribe to the Fearless Product Leadership podcast on your favorite podcast platform to be notified of new episodes. You will find transcripts, video versions of each episode, as well as more information on my Fearless Product Coaching and Consulting Services by visiting my website, fearless-product.com. Fearless Product. Confidence through evidence.